0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to the 119th Psalm, Psalm 119. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name's Mark and I'm one of the ministers here, and we are grateful that you've joined us. The 119th Psalm is setting us up for a series that begins next Sunday uh, called Corrective Lenses. We introduced the uh, topic last uh, Sunday and want to welcome those of you that were gone last weekend and are new to our church to have an idea where we're going. Uh, I don't say this as hyperbole. I say it because I believe it's true. We won't have a more important series It would be a long time since we'll preach anything more important and relevant to our lives than this series called Corrective Lenses. The world is not telling us the truth. Our culture is not telling us all that God has told us. It's keeping parts of the truth away because it doesn't want to face it. And we're going to be looking at some of those lies. Now, you may say, well, is the world lying? Uh, Someone says to me, Mark, did you lie to me? I just didn't tell you all the truth. That's a lie. And so the world is telling us, our culture... uh, It's telling us what is valuable when it's not valuable. It's telling us what is true when it's not true. And so we're not going to attack the world, but we're going to show you what the Word of God says on some key issues facing all of us. And our Wednesday night program, this Wednesday night opens our, our Wednesday night fall programming, and we encourage you to be a part of it. And what will take place in this room is one of the classes available will be a discussion on where we're going in corrective lenses. And then every Wednesday, following the Sunday message, will be a follow-up study. It'll all be recorded. You can listen to it on iTunes. You can go to our website and see it. But really encourage you, if you can't physically be here, and I hope you will be here, to have your questions answered and to engage with other folks. But if you can't be here, please take advantage of the opportunities to participate from a distance. Because we think this is going to be a conversation for our whole church that's worth having. And the reason I want to open the 119th Psalm today is because this psalm sets the table. It's the foundation work for where we're headed this fall. It is the largest chapter and thusly the largest psalm in your psaltery, which is a famous or a popular way of saying the songbook of the psalms. And it's 176 verses. It's an amazingly long psalm. But it's unique because it is just intricate and designed beautifully. It is 22 eight-verse psalms that make up the 176 verses. And every one of them, in order, goes through the Hebrew alphabet. So it would be a psalm, if written in English originally, would begin the first stanza of eight verses would begin with the letter A, and the second with B, and the next with C, all the way through our alphabet. This was not just slapped together on the back of a napkin by someone sitting under a tree. This was well written and designed, and its theme is the Word of God. It's all about God's Word. I would encourage every one of us this week, I'm going to, and I hope you'll join me. I hope that you'll take this entire week and read through the 119th Psalm in preparation for next Sunday. You may read it in one setting. It took me about 30 minutes to read it completely through. The all 176 verses. But because I'm a spaz, I'm going to read pieces of it every day. Because I can tell you I read 176 verses. But at about verse 34, I checked out. I don't know if you have that problem. I'm just going to introduce you to me. That's my problem. So I'm going to focus on bite-sized pieces so that I can remember, put it to heart, and work with it. So, I want to show you three things. We're not going to read all of it. Some of you are like, yay. So we're not going to read all of it. But I am going to walk you through it because I want to whet your appetite to see... What this psalm says about the words of God. The first point I want to make this morning is the truth that we find in God. I I need us to understand from the very beginning that the word of God is God. It's not just words about him or ideas about him, but that the living scriptures is God's revelation of himself to us. So it's the truth that we not find in the Bible, but it's the truth we find in our God. Verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts, and they are to be fully obeyed. It's interesting in the first four verses that it's referred to here as the law of the Lord. Now, what's important for me, and I, I want to break this down. I was taught this in the past few weeks about this, and I think it's significant. It's significant. It makes my tail wag, maybe it'll make yours wag. It doesn't say the laws of God. Like there are varying distinct you know, uh, pillars of the law, like how we treat one another, how we pay our taxes, how we drive our vehicles, how we do certain things. It says the law of the Lord, meaning that all of the scriptures together are God's standard for all of us. There's not pieces that fit some people in one area and don't fit people today. And let's pop the bubble of the great myth in the American culture, that the Bible is an antique book that once meant something. No, it is a living, active book that still means something. And the law of God, not the laws, the law of God still is in authority. And if you look at this, there's four titles that that the author uses for the word of God, law, statutes, ways, precepts. But what's most significant for us to notice here is this, that all of the pronouns attached to those four words, laws, a law, statutes, ways, and precepts, they all belong to him. They're his law, his statutes, his ways, his precepts. They're not ours. We don't get to vote on them. We don't get to change them. We don't get to negate them. They come from God. They're from God to us, and we either accept them or we reject them. So in a culture that says the Bible's an old-timey book, it may be so, but it's still true. Verse 151 says toward the conclusion of this psalm, Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Significant that at the beginning and at the end, the reality of the power and the presentation of God's law for us is significant within all of this, that you are near. Timothy Keller said something recently. I heard a sermon he preached on the 119th Psalm, and he said these words, when you say God is love, you don't bring us into a head-on collision with culture. But when you say God is a God of truth, it does. It does. When people read the Bible and say, oh, that's good for me, no one's in disagreement. But when the law of God confronts our lives, then we have an argument. I don't like that God doesn't want me to do that. I don't like that God says this is wrong. It doesn't matter when it's his law if you and I like it. Uh, Or as my father, Dale Christian, often told me, when you and God disagree, you're wrong. And the principle behind the word of God is it reveals who God is because he is truth. Let me explain it this way. I need to confess, hi, my name's Mark, and I hate people in authority over me. Am I the only one? I get mad at my GPS. Turn right. Quit telling me what to do. Oh, oh, that's right. I need direction. Maybe if it said please, I might be better. That would be helpful. Turn right, please, if you want to. Mark, that'd be great. I'd probably obey that. But when someone tells me, do this, ew, I'm not probably going to do that. Thus, I have a problem with the Bible on occasion. How about you? Now, let, me, let me phrase it in a way that makes more sense to us. If you go to your doctor, who's a legitimate doctor, has gone through the 19 years of school, a million dollars in debt, all because they want to learn the body and help you out. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to stop eating this fill-in-the-blank food. Or your doctor says to you, if you want to live any longer, you're going to have to start doing some exercise X amount of minutes per day. Do you sense that the reason the doctor is laying law in front of you is because they hate you? Some of you are like, yeah, no, no. They're doing it because they want. They know the body, they know the system, they know how what you put in your body fuels your body. They know all of these things. They've studied, they put in hours, they gave up sections of their life But they didn't even know it was on television for nine years. So they could tell you what's best for you. When you go to your doctor, none of us walk out of the doctor's office going, I hate that person. They hate me. They're wrong. Why? Because you don't feel good? The reason you went to them is because you didn't feel good. You see, I want to ask you some questions. I want us to reason together today about the word of God. If God is king, church, is he? Okay, good, good. If he's king then everything he says has authority, amen? So you go, ah, no, no, use logic. If he is the king over all things, then his word cannot be rejected because we don't like it. He's authoritative. Okay, if God is holy and righteous, is he? Okay, if God is holy and righteous, then everything he says in scripture is accurate to the reality we need to live in. Would you agree? Okay, and if God is sovereign, and if you don't know what the word sovereign means, it means in control. Do you believe that God is in control? Then don't you think He could work through the authors of Scripture in where they were in their lives, in context, to bring a message to every one of us so that even today those words still ring true? Would you agree? Then why do we have so much problem with the Bible? Because we live in a world that doesn't want to be told what to do because they don't know God. And I don't say they don't know God like they're evil. I say, one of the reasons we exist is so they can understand the goodness of the word of God for every one of us, including them. In 2 Peter, Peter wrote, No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is either 100% accurate or 100% a fool and you and I have get to make the choice. Do we believe that the entirety of God's word is the authoritative word of our king or do we believe it was a made-up mythological tale to help us live better? The problem is some of us answer yes to both questions based on where we are in the Bible. As if you can pick some pieces of the scripture and say, "Well, that's no longer relevant." Jesus simply said clearly to those who questioned it, there will not be one marking in all of the Word of God that will not come to fruition. There's not one piece we throw away and go, well, that's old-timey. Jesus said, no, that's funny. I thought it was real. And so who do you believe, the one who wrote the Word of God or the one who reads it? You see, and we live in a world that says truth is this inner subjective feeling we have, that I feel good about this, so this must be true for me. I'm not trying to be snarky here this morning, and I don't want to be combative with you, but I think the Word of God needs stood up for. And I think that Christians need to start standing up for the Word of God and quit backing down and going, I don't know, maybe it's kind of embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. There's a power here. If truth is defined by how you feel, how often do your feelings change? Okay, let me talk to those of us over 40. Could you respect who you were at 18 anymore? Oh my gosh, I can't. I sometimes thank God that Heather met me at 19 and not 18. I'd still be single. But because God messed me up in my 18th year of life, when in 19 I had one ounce of maturity and she accepted that. But at 18, oh, everything I thought, everything I wanted, everything that felt right for me was a joke. So I'm not making fun of these under 40. But one day you'll remember some bald guy and you're like, yeah, He was right, and we'll move on. (laughs) Truth is not something you feel based on what you want. The Bible says truth is an outside reality that God reveals to us, and we either accept it and are blessed by it, or we reject it and find out it's still true. So the first thing I want us to understand that the psalmist teaches us in the 119th Psalm is that the word of God is God. It's as true as God, and it comes from everything he is. Second thing is there's a power of that truth. And it's not just that it shows us who God is, but it also, there's a power. You grab a hold of the, of the word of God, and you open the word of God, and it will change you. And it will change others, and it will change history. First of all, when we realize what the word of God has in power for us, the truth can set you free from time and culture. I want to say this clearly as we head into this fall series. I love living where I get to live. I love the freedom of our country. I am so grateful that I was born and raised in the United States, just very much so. But I'll tell you the truth. I've been sold a bill of goods and so have you. Our culture is not a God-honoring culture. Our culture is a man-honoring culture. And some of us feel like success is the end of our lives. If we're successful and we have enough, then we've lived a good life. I've not been called to live a good life, church. I've been called to live a holy life. And the word of God is the only thing that will correct the false assumptions that have been taught to me and I've bought into and even some of the things I want to believe. It can set me free. Look at verse 45. I walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Let me ask you a question. Now, you don't have to answer it to me and be truthful, but remember, God's watching. How many of you feel like the Bible gives you freedom? And how many of you feel like the Bible restricts your life? You see, the psalmist says, when you understand the power of the Word of God, when you've experienced what it is to walk away from truth and be devastated, when you're the the son in the prodigal son story, and you wake up one day looking at your condition, and you're asking yourself, how did I get here? Then you'll understand the freedom in the Word of God. But for many of us, we struggle with the Bible's restrictive, not freeing. The 152nd verse, Long ago I learned about your statutes, that you established them to last forever. Please remember that verse. When people say to you, that's not relevant anymore, that doesn't mean that anymore, that doesn't apply to us today. You see, people say, well, the Old Testament law. I don't have to live under the Old Testament law. No, you don't think Jesus, not you, By the grace of Jesus Christ, I don't have to live under the Old Testament law, but the Old Testament law taught us what it means to be holy and different and not sucked into culture, how to be free from that. So there's a truth behind every one of God's statutes. Many people want to believe in the Bible. In fact, I I would venture, I'm not certain about anything except I would bet 98% of the people in the room today who are listening to me talk want to believe that the Bible is true, but there's two problems with it. Number one, you've never read it. You can't believe it's true if you don't open it. And the second thing is, we don't like all of it, and it's problematic. We think it's too traditional. Times have changed. People have changed. I'd like to illustrate it this way. The Bible will contradict your culture if it's true. For instance, if you take the Bible to the Middle East... and and you take it to the Middle East, they will love what the Bible says about sex, about family, about honor. They will hate what the Bible says about turning the other cheek and loving your enemy. Why? Because their culture is an honor-shame culture. When someone is honored, awesome. When they're shamed, strike back and get even. It's been the battle between Isaac and Ishmael all along. You bring the Bible to an American culture, And we love what it says about turning the other cheek and loving your enemy, but we can't stand what it says about sex and family. Why? Because we're an individualistic culture. The Bible doesn't care what culture you come from. The Bible is creating a new holy culture. So the fact that people don't agree with the Bible doesn't negate the power of the Bible. It just negates the inconsistency or identifies the inconsistency of your culture. So, the psalmist says that the word of God will change, that it's meant to last forever, that it will bring offense. Jesus said, My gospel message will divide families. He wasn't happy about that, but the truth is not up for debate. The truth is to be honored and accepted. I won't go into great detail because time doesn't allow me to, but I can tell you the concept of women's rights. The fact that women are treated as individuals, that every human being has dignity. We're going to talk about that in our series. These issues did not come because mankind looked at each other and said, we ought to do better. No, it's because Christians read the word of God and realized that if we're all made in the image of God, whether you're male or female, slave or free man, you should be treated with dignity. The Bible did that. Not men, because go back in history. If you own land, you owned people. And if you didn't own land, you should be owned. But philosophers read the Bible and said, no, if you're made in the image of God, it doesn't matter if you own land or not. You matter. Right, church? It's the word of God that frees cultures from itself. So don't be afraid and don't be surprised when your understanding of the word of God sets you differently than those you've known your entire life. Because there's power there. It's a power to change. Letter B, the truth can empower you to act decisively. God's word is not to be pondered forever, it's to be acted on. Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. Notice that the the psalmist, and I believe there were many of them, but the psalmist wrote down, Lord, show me how to put my feet on the path you want me on so that I can do that. You see, the laws, precepts, statutes, all of these They're not helpful for us when we're being tempted if we have not put them in our minds when we're not being tempted. Let me re-explain this. God cannot draw out of you what is not in you. And if you want the word of God to lead your life, you have to put the word of God in your life. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But to be able to act decisively, I I have to know what the word of God says. Which leads me to the next point. The truth can enable you to experience God. And your interaction with the word of God will help you make good choices. It will set you distinct and it will allow you to experience God. Verse 38. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Remember, the Old Testament use of the word fear does not mean a scary thing. It means respect and honor. Knowing who God is compared to who I am. 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. If you came to me right now, my mom and dad are named Dale and Marilyn. If you came to me right now and said, Dale Christian has a temper, I would go, you don't know half of it. I'm the cause of it. If you'd come to me and say, Marilyn Christian can hold a grudge, I'm going to go, oh yeah, been there. I learned to pout from my mother. If you came to me and said, my father didn't treat people well, I would say, you don't know my dad. My dad. If you came and said, Maryland Christian's not a generous person, I would look at you and say, you got a different Maryland Christian than the one I know. Do you see what the word of God does for us, church? It allows us to know who we're talking about. Because when people say, how could a good God do this? And we know what the word of God says. When God has warned us, when there is a punishment. Remember when your parents used to look at you and say, if you don't stop. Right? So when Dale got out of the chair... I always learned this about my dad. Once he got out of the chair, someone was getting whooped. If he's going to put that much energy into standing up, he's going to whip one of us. So that's why he said, boys, you don't want me getting out of this chair. And what he was really saying was, I don't want to get up. But if I get up, okay. The reason we know the word of God is to experience God. So when the world says God's not loving, we can come back and say, are you kidding? Listen to this. And let me show you this through history. And that God is too loving and he'll never punish. And go back and say, then Jesus on the cross, the punishment for all of our sins. That's not true. See, we're not talking about our opinions. We're talking about the word of God will reveal who God is to us. You see, someone, preacher once said, you go to the word of the Lord to find the Lord of the word. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, I just don't, I've i tried to read the Bible, Mark. No, no, no. Don't try to read the Bible. Open the word of God and let it speak. There's a vast difference between studying for a test and studying to know the story. There's a vast difference. So, let me take you to this third piece. How the truth uses us. This might be surprising to some of us because I showed you that the word of God is God. And that the word of God has power to it. But how does the truth use us? I'm going to give you three things. Three tangible actions to take today. Even if you just read the 119th Psalm two or three times this week. You broke it down over the next six days. And you say, "I'm going to. there's 22 of them. I'm going to take three or four a day. I'm going to read through these eight verses. I'm going to jot down little notes about what God is telling me about himself and what he's telling me about me. First of all, unfold the word. In the 130th verse, it says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Unfolding it. Did you ever get a note passed to you in class? I used to get my feelings hurt a lot because cute girls used to pass me these notes and I would look at them and they'd go, give them to the gym. Oh. Okay. Became the postman at age nine. But every now and then I got a a little note from a buddy or something, something funny in class or or something like that, and I held it. I knew this was a message for me because it had MC written on it. But I didn't know what the message was until I opened it up. You have no clue what your Bible app, the power it has available to you, your physical scriptures, the power. Don't let someone tell you what the Word of God says. Find out for yourself. Unfold it. You see, the message of Scripture is simple. It's repetitive, but it's deep. Testify this morning. Answer me if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever had a moment where you've read a passage of Scripture five, six, eight times, and on the ninth time, something blows up off the page you've never seen before? How many of you have had that experience? Do you know what God's doing for you? This is my feeling on this. When when our boys were little, we used to like bite off a piece of candy, like a piece of hard candy. They'd see me pop a cinnamon disc in my mouth, and they'd want some. And I'd snap a little piece off. I know it's gross, but they didn't know. And I'd break off a little piece, and I would give it to them. And they would put it in their mouth, and they were like, "Wow, it was awesome." Why didn't I give them the whole piece? They would have choked. Why does God give you layer after layer of revelation? Because he's not going to choke you. He's going to give you what you need in the moment and reveal it to you. God is a loving, careful parent who's guiding you well. You have to trust, but you unfold it. You open it up. Second, hide the word in your heart. Verse 11 may be, I think it's one of the three most powerful verses in the 176 verse psalm. I'm not going to tell you what the other two are. You find your own. But this is one of them, of the most powerful. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is one of the most comprehensive understanding of what the Bible can do for you and how it can use your life. You hide it in your heart. Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? Let's just say like in a town, like Duquesne. Uh They need to name a wing of that administrative building after me. My first week in town, I was running late to get back to church in a meeting. I zipped through that town. Cop pulls me over. Sincerely, he said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yeah. He said, do you know what the speed limit was? No, sir, I don't. I'm not from around here. I don't know the area yet. He still wrote me a ticket. I can tell you what, though. I now know the speed limit in Duquesne. How do I know the speed limit in Duquesne? I had experience with it. Sometimes it says no. Sometimes it says yes. And so I know what the speed limit is on that stretch, and I won't drive down that road. Way too slow for any human being. <laughs> I got places to be. But because I got tagged, because I had an experience with the truth, whether it was positive or negative, I now remember what it is. I know it. The Word of God must be hidden in your heart. So when you are at your moment and you don't have a Bible, <clears throat> have you ever noticed that when you most need scriptures, you don't have one available? But you have it available to you all the time. And please, you're going to say to me, I don't like to memorize. Who does? But when you have an experience with it, you'll remember it. I never set out to learn what the speed limit was on that stretch of road. I now know it because I had experience with it. Have an experience with the word of God, and it will set in your heart, and you will have it available to you when you most need it. Lastly, rejoice in the word. C.S. Lewis said that one of the hardest things he ever had to do as a believer was find joy in the word of God. That's a truthful statement. Verse 14 I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Not all of us feel that way. How many of you would agree with me that the Bible's heavy? Ah, come on, remember, God's watching. There you go. Some of us realize the Word of God is hard. It doesn't always fit. Sometimes it feels like it's punitive. Other times it feels like it's great release. There are parts of God's Word that are heavy, and they're exacting and demanding. And there are other parts that are gracious and provide much freedom. And we live in a world where people say, I don't like the heaviness of it. Mark Twain, a Missourian, who was an agnostic. Mark Twain said he had a reoccurring nightmare that, that this big Bible would come down from heaven and squish him so he suffocated. That's what he saw the law of God as. Because sometimes God's law is heavy, but sometimes it's good. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Paul explains the balance. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the heaviness, by becoming a heaviness or curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham may come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The Word of God is heavy because it doesn't change for us, it changes us. And the Word of God is a blessing because it brings to us what we never could get on our own. I know this is a silly illustration, but it's all I got. When I was a kid, um, we would go to my grandma and grandpa's every now and then. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes I went to grandma and grandpa's on Sunday so that I didn't have to go to Sunday night church because they didn't go to Sunday night church and my mom couldn't say anything to them because that was her folks. So I'd say to grandpa, do you need my help today? And he'd say, yeah, there's some things we could do around the house. And I would go spend the afternoon with grandpa and grandma. After church Sunday night, my folks would come pick me up. One particular Sunday afternoon, my grandmother made a nice meal. She knew her grandkids were coming over. She knew I loved pork chops. She made pork chops. I was a very happy kid until she filled my plate. Next to the pork chops were lima beans. I can deal with it. No, no worries. Put a little corn in there, I act like they're not there. Right next to there were the largest pile of peas I'd ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> now my grandmother was old, old, old school. I think she taught old school teachers how to be old, old school. And she gave me the lecture. When we were kids, whatever came out of the garden, that's what you ate. And I was like, glad I don't live then. We have grocery stores. I'm not eating peas. And she gave me the look like, yes, you will. And I remember sitting there, and it was evening time, and they would always turn on the radio. At noon, they always ate right at noon, and they always ate right at 6 p.m., and I knew that because they'd turn on the radio, and Paul Harvey would come on. If you don't know who pa- Paul Harvey is, Google it. And they would, we would sit there, and the plate was on the table, and the steaming pile of nastiness was right in front of me. And I couldn't get sent to my room because I wasn't at our house. And my grandfather looked over and he said to my grandmother, her name was Grace, he said, Grace, would you pray? And my grandmother could pray. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. When she's finally done praying, I looked up and my grandfather had taken all the peas off my plate and put them on his. (laughs) Which was awesome because she couldn't say anything to him because he'd have gone like, he'd have been like woman and that would have been the end of it. I was like, yes! And she was so frustrated. There's a heaviness to the word of God, and there's a blessing to the word of God, and sometimes the word of God's a plate of peas, and if I can be cheesy, sometimes Jesus eats the peas. We have a good Lord, don't we? And he's discovered through the word of God, not through the Bible, but through the words of God to his children where he says, I love you, I'll change you. I'll be patient, but I'll make you holy. That's the word of God. That's the one we serve. And that's why we gather every week to open the word of God and let him speak. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christchurch in general. Visit us online at ccochurch.com.